Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Okay, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, studying a good, good God um, who we love because he first loved us. Uh, I am excited about this passage. Um, we're going to be in just the first four verses. So if you're new with us, we uh, we just preach books of the Bible around here. And so last year, we just preached the book of Romans. This year, we're preaching through Hebrews. And so last week, I covered all of chapter 1. This week, we're just going to be in the first four verses. And here's what I love about what's going to happen. Um, I am uh, I am 38, uh, which makes me uncool in a lot of ways. Um, I buy my clothes at Target, and if I'm lucky, my wife will give me something at Ross Dress for Less. I'm not cool. I realize that. Um, in my life, uh, man, just trying to follow the Lord and walk with Him, man, my life is filled with these ups and downs and these um, these moments where, man, I can stand before Him so close and and with my heart just seeing how good he is and how good he is and he will never let me down and just know that and feel the proximity of this good gracious father who is always there and then other seasons of my life if I'm really honest I just feel so far from him and I feel so distant from him uh, and I feel like my heart is hardened and I can sing songs but I feel like there is this massive chasm not theologically that all of a sudden I'm no longer a Christian or I'm not saved anymore but man just this distance and proximity in my relationship with my heavenly father through Christ and so that is just the story of my faith right and the story of my faith is that ups and downs uh, and I love this passage because I think it specifically addresses that I think it specifically steps into the person in this room who feels so on fire right now and you feel so close to the Lord and you feel man your heart is close and you sing that and you're like man Jesus is right here with me and it specifically addresses how do we stay there how do I just stay in your courts forever and just stay with this proximity, Lord? And this talks about how we stay there, but then also for the person who says, man, I feel so far. I remember when I used to, but now I don't, and I feel so far. This passage, I, I think, challenges us, and where we're going today in the sermon is how do we get back? And everywhere in between, everywhere in between those two extremes, I think Hebrews begins to show us this is who he is, and here's how you hold tight if you are close, and as you drift, here's how you drift your way back to him, and so that's what we're doing, just a preview of kind of where uh, where we're going in this, so let's just jump into the passage. We'll throw it up here on the screen for you if that's easiest. I'm going to read it here. Therefore is what verse Chapter 2, verse 1, it starts with therefore, which we're going to circle back around and pay special attention to why that's there. The author says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For in that verse right there, just so you know, that is where we're going to spend 90% of our time this morning. Verse 1 is huge. If you've got a Bible underlined, verse 1, I think, is a massively important challenge for us. And then what he's going to do is he's going to, verse 2, 3, and 4, authenticate his challenge from verse 1. Look at what he does. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, 
We'll explain that in a second. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I wanna, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on verse 1, but specifically I want us to kind of zoom in on verses 2, 3, and 4 um, because what's happening in verses 2, 3, and 4, it is authenticating this message of Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 2, if we can bring up uh, verses at least 1 and 2 back up there so you can all see it. He says, for since the message declared by angels, proved to be reliable. He's saying, hey, the message that you heard, right, in all of chapter one, the message that you heard was reliable. And then he's gonna even tell us again what it is. And every transgression, every sin, right, or disobedience received a just retribution. And so what he's saying is, hey, therefore this message that we talked about, this, this retribution, all of our sin was paid for by Christ, The gospel is the message he's referring to. The fact that for those who are in Christ, Jesus came and all of our sin, all of our disobedience was taken and put on him because of that message. It is a reliable, reliable message. And he even says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We've got to pay attention to this message. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So now he's starting to say, let me authenticate it declared first by the Lord, also attested by those who heard, while God bore witness, signs and wonders. And so here's what we see. We see in this passage, first, angels, right? Angels proved to be reliable, this message declared. Then we see that the Lord literally has shared the gospel and told us what he was going to do. Then we see it has been attested to those who heard. The apostles have now come along and said, hey, this message of Jesus is true. And then even we see in verse 4, signs and wonders and various miracles, all of these things, what the author is saying in verses two, three, and four is the message of the gospel can be trusted. It's, it's been validated. It's been authenticated. And so you've got to pay attention to it because it is trustworthy and reliable. Um, I, uh, I went and tried to I was grocery shopping um, at Target, picking up probably a new shirt too, uh, grocery shopping, and I, I got some wine with my purchase, a couple bottles, maybe two or two, 12, I don't remember how many bottles, but there was a couple of bottles that I had gotten for wine. Uh, Danielle and I love, love wine, especially if we eat Italian food. It's like, okay, man, cool, we got to have some red wine with that. Um, and they carded me. Right, they carded. I'm so old. You guys don't even get carded half the time. And I got carded, um, which makes me mad. And, uh, and here's the thing. My driver's license is expired. It just expired. Um, and by just expired, I mean it expired in January on my birthday. And by January, I mean January 2020. Um, I just haven't gotten around to it. There was a pandemic, and there was a lot of things going on, a lot of other things on my plate. I didn't get a chance to take care of it. But nonetheless, my driver's license is expired for almost two years now. And so, and I, and I don't think about it, and I don't get carded often. And so at Target, I gave her my driver's license, and she was like, cool. And then she was like, oh, oh, this, ex- this expired. So I can't, I can't sell you the wine. And I was like, but I'm old and out of touch. Like, clearly, I'm older than 21. I have children that are almost, not really, but they, I have eight-year-old children. I have an eight-year-old. So, and yet, because my driver's license is expired, it's not valid, right? It's not a valid form of identification to, to authorize me to be able to do that. So I respectfully and biblically put, put it back in the chip aisle because I didn't want to walk all the way back. And so I put it in the, 
like right there in between the pretzels and the graham crackers, just there's some wine uh, for kids. Anyway, um, here's my point. My point is this. Uh, there has to be a, val- a validation, right? And if something is invalid, then, well, we don't trust it, right? So this lady, no matter what I looked like and no matter how old or how much older than 21 I looked, she still wouldn't sell me, and that's the rules, and I get that, and that's her job, and, and that's all fine and good because I didn't have a valid ID. What, what these verses, specifically 2, 3, and 4, are saying is they're saying, hey, this thing has been validated, This message that we spent all last week talking about in chapter one, the message of the gospel, what Jesus did, it's valid. It's been attested to by literal angels, by the Lord himself, by the apostles who were with him. They have all shared the same story. And even in a season of the early church with miracles and signs and wonders, if you ever read the book of Acts, right, the book of Acts is packed with crazy, awesome Holy Spirit fireworks. That was the early church, the church beginning, before we had the word of God, before we had the canonization of scripture, right? Which is, which is how God has brought this Bible together that we love and we stand on. Um, before that, man, it was the apostles going around and saying, hey, Jesus is who he said he was. And they're like, well, we don't know. And then there were like these incredible signs and wonders and people getting healed from, from death and people getting their sight restored and all kinds of amazing things that validated the message that they were carrying in that first century church that was really important to authenticate the message that they were saying. And so that's what we have here. And so he's saying, don't miss this salvation. Literally, in verse two, he says, for since the message, don't miss the salvation, don't miss the message. The message is the gospel. It's that all of our sins here that that deserve the payment, the retribution of those transgressions and disobedience, they have been paid for. The message of the gospel all of chapter one, if if you were here last week, chapter one, that our Jesus purified our sins and then sat down because his work was done and he purified the sins of the world, yours, mine, my kids, my grandkids, future, past, present, future sins, he did it and he finished it. The message is valid. It's real. We, We talked about it last week. We will talk about it every week. We will talk about the gospel every week. Um, The gospel that Jesus was who he said he was, lived a perfect life, died the death that you deserved and I deserved and rose again. And now for those who put their faith in Christ, we get him. We get grace. What I talked about on the welcome, that we can approach him, not because we're good enough and spiritual enough and Christian enough, but because we get his grace that calls us to a table we don't belong on because if we've said, I trust in Christ that I might approach, not my, not my good spiritual works, that's the gospel. We talk about it every week, um, and we talk about it every week for a couple of reasons. One, because it is literally at every turn of this book. If you ever find a ministry or you're a part of a ministry and you see them kind of saying, um, hey, the gospel's great, but we're going to move on to, to bigger and better and deeper things. Run, run. It, Paul specifically addresses that with a church in Galatia, and he says, you guys are now adding, like you've, you've lost touch with the gospel that we preached to you, and now you're like adding and trying to go deeper, and you're moving away from the gospel. The gospel, what Jesus did, is not just this entryway into Christianity. It is at every turn in scripture, every chapter, every book, It's all throughout here. So we're going to talk about it a lot because it is also our source for depth. 
our source for depth. And if we don't hold on to that, we're going to sneak into self-righteousness and think, okay, I'm beyond that. But we've got to stay grounded here. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, this is a real message. Keep it in front of you. Keep focused on it. Um, and, and verse 1, that's exactly his challenge. Verse 1, he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Um, my, um, my son, Charlie, he is turning eight on Tuesday, so if you see him on Tuesday, wish him a happy birthday, um, or he'll be at the 11 o'clock service. You can wish him an early birthday on your way out. Uh, we went to Great Wolf Lodge uh, Friday night. That place is exhausting. Um, really cool for kids. Really amazing uh, place. Hooray. Uh, but man, as a parent, I'm like, oh my gosh, can't believe that Target lady didn't let me buy wine. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, it's not a good coping mechanism. So here's, here's my point. Um, at Great Wolf Lodge, there is an w- indoor water park like, like has never been created since the garden. It's unbelievable. And, and in it, there is what is called the Lazy River. And I thought, oh, the Lazy River, my kids were excited, my eight-year-old, and then Miles is five. And I thought, this will be great, you know, good quality dad time, and it'll be kind of downshifted. We can just float around the Lazy River. They kind of think it's cool. And it's this, if you've never been on a Lazy River, it's this, you know, stream that kind of whips around, and it takes like four or five minutes to go through the whole thing. And it moves, like it's got a current that pushes you around, so you get on an inner tube, or you just float around the Lazy River. And so I thought, okay, cool, this will be great. It is exhausting when you have kids who can't really swim, right? Because they're just constantly being pulled under and there's like guys in inner tubes like smushing my five-year-old and cramming them up against the wall and it's a whole thing. And so we just kept going around, kept going around. I was like, hey, y'all want to get off? And they're like, no, we're down for it. It was exhausting, right? But my point is this. My point is, um, man, there was a current that was going to take us. We sit back, relax, swim, do whatever, it was going to move you from one point to the next. There was no staying put, right? You go get in a pool, you can sit there for as long as you want, right? Or, or put a beach chair in the shallow, and that's fine. But, um, but this was going to take you somewhere. There is a principle in Christianity, um, in following Christ, that is so true to that idea. And it is the, the reality that there is no coasting. There's no coasting in the Christian life. You are going to drift one direction or the other direction. There is going to be mo- momentum and movement in your life and in your spiritual life, and you might not be aware of it. You might think, yeah, I'm kind of in neutral. There is not a neutral in the Christian life. One of my favorite books, um, one of my favorite authors is this guy named John Owen, old school Puritan guy, wrote a bunch of books. Uh, he's got a book called Mortification of Sin. It's one of my favorites, and he, he deals with this idea in Mortification of Sin that there's two choices for me as a believer. I can either be killing my sin, meaning like identifying the sin in my life and taking it before the Lord and confessing it and really working the gospel into that to really repent and kill my sin, right? Just take a hacksaw to it or it's going to kill me. That those are my two options, right? If you think about certain forms of cancer, right? There's certain forms of cancer that if you have them, you are either actively killing it chemo and surgery and any number of ways uh, that science is, is working and doctors are working to kill it. You're either actively killing it or you can do nothing, which means it will actively be growing. That is our Christian life. There is no neutral. And it is a lie to you guys to believe and to my own heart that wants to just be like, yeah, I'm coasting right now. We're not. We are drifting one place or the other. 
there's a D.A. Carson quote. I'm going to read it to you. It's long, but I think it's really good. It's really wordy, but I debated on it. I'm going to read it anyway because it's awesome. Here's what D.A. Carson said specifically about this idea of drifting. He said, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. And that is so true in the Christian life. It's so true in my life. You are drifting one way or the other, and Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, calls us to the mat and says, keep focused, pay attention, stare, stare, stare at the gospel. Stare at the message, apply the message, keep focusing on the gospel because you will drift. Now, what's at stake? What's at stake when we drift, right? When we drift from our faith, what's at stake? And there's, there's two things. The first, and I'll be quick here, the first is ourselves. When we drift, the first thing that happens is, I mean, it affects us, right? What I talked about at the very beginning, man, those seasons in my life where I feel like I've drifted from the Lord, where I'm not close to him. Man, it is my heart, my soul. Uh, I feel dry. Um, I, I feel like, man, I used to be so close to the Lord and I'm not anymore. Uh, our hearts are heavy. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts feel distant. So many times we have, um, I'll just speak for my, myself, so many times I feel like, man, I just felt so close to the Lord that summer and now I just don't. And I know that God is unchanging. God didn't change. God hasn't folded his arms and walked away from me. I've drifted. And my prayers feel like they're going nowhere. And I sit in a room and I sing worship songs and it feels flat. How do I get back to that place? My worship, my anxiety has increased, my disobedience, whatever that looks like in your life, man. We drift and it weighs on us. It's a concept all throughout scripture. Uh, I'm gonna take you to the Psalms real quick. Psalms, I won't even put them up on the screen, but Psalms, Psalm 9 uh, you see this concept. Look at, look at the ups and downs of David, right? A man after God's own heart, David in the Old Testament. Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. This is what David says. I love this. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O most high David is on fire. David is close. He is praising God for all that God has done. Look at chapter 10, literally. Chapter 9, now look at chapter 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David is this tortured soul throughout the Psalms who drifts near and then through his disobedience or circumstance drifts further away in these ups and downs. And if you feel like you drift in and out, you are not alone. Right, this book is full of people who, have, who drift. This ministry is led by people who say, God, how do we keep from drifting, Lord? How do we keep our attention focused on you? It, what's at stake is our hearts, our souls. Also, what is at stake is our witness. Our witness is at stake. Verse 3, 
Um, it says this idea of how we attest to others. Verse 3 in, in Hebrews, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, right? And then this beautiful line at the end of verse 3, And it was attested to us by those who heard. This idea of it was attested, it was modeled, it was, there was a witness that we shared with our lives for those who heard, those who were close to Jesus, those apostles, we attested to the message. And one of the things that is at stake, not just our own hearts, but when we drift is the witness for those who watch us, right? Those who are looking from the outside, who are looking in, we are a witness to something. And as we drift, and I don't know what your life looks like, I don't know what your weekends look like or a Friday night or a Saturday night looks like and, and I know college is surrounded. You are just surrounded by temptation that we're gonna talk about here in a second real practically. But man, so the world is watching us if we say we're believers. Right? If we say that, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, I'm pursuing Christ whether we like it or not, um, there are eyes that are on us and our enemy knows that. And so if our life looks so radically different on a Friday night or a Thursday night, or it looks so radically different than it does when we're here versus when we're at our friend's house or the sorority house or the fraternity house. And listen to me, I am not shaming you. I am never going to stand up on this stage. We are not going to on this stage sit up here and shame you. Hey, man, you made a lot of poor decisions. Don't ever make poor decisions because that's not what this is about, right? That's not what we believe this platform is for. That's not what we believe the body of Christ is for, right? I don't, I don't think shame is from the Lord. And we, I know that you guys all have, have lists of things. You're like, man, I regret this. I regret this. And yeah, there was bad witness here. So this isn't about shame, but there is a level of a God who loves us enough and a body of Christ and leadership who loves us enough to say, there's conviction though. And conviction should lead us to, to want to drift back to him. Not just bury ourselves and oh great, I feel bad already and now I feel worse. No, no, conviction is the thing that says there's something better. There's something better. There's a better witness. There's a better example. I'm called to be set apart for his glory. And we don't, we don't need to beat each other up about the mistakes that we have, but we also don't need to enable ourselves to continue running after something that's going to dry up and going to lead us to drift away from what is ultimately more satisfying. And so do you see where our drifting takes us, right? It takes us past our convictions even, then buries us under shame and buries us under guilt and numbness and loneliness and anxiety. And the world is watching that, and the world is watching us float away and think, okay, if that's what they're following, that looks just as lame as, as what I'm doing, or that seems the, the same lifestyle or close enough or self-righteous or judgmental, and so they're watching us, and so there's so much at stake. And maybe some of you, that's your story, right? Maybe your story is you are stiff-arming God in some ways because you're looking at the community who's supposed to be representing him, and that community's drifted, or that, that person that you looked up to has drifted, and we're imperfect people. Um, and so, man, my hope is that you would be able to look past that to a God who doesn't drift. And so here's what I want to do. For the rest of our time, I want to show us, um, I want to get real practical with the sermon. This is a very real felt need for you guys in the world that you live in and, and do life in and, and navigate as, as young adults. And so I want to ask the question, what causes us to drift in our faith? What causes that? Where does that come from? And then I want to ask some diagnostic questions and put that before you and let you wrestle with, okay, here, here are some of the reasons of why I'm drifting so that we can resolve those to approach something better. And so the first one is, uh, is this. 
um, because I don't want to just look at our behavior and tweak our behavior. I want to dig deep here. And so the first one, uh, a way that we drift is comfortable or poor theology, right? Um, So often, one of the reasons that we drift from faith is because of comfortable or poor theology. And, And what I mean by that is this. I, I have a God who's revealed himself in scripture. Um, we believe, we preach this for a reason, right? Because we believe, man, this is, it's not what Ben says. It's not what song lyrics say. It's not what the latest blog article says. It's, man, what does God's word say? This is who our God is. Let's follow and worship and submit our lives to that God. Man, there is such a temptation in our lives to say, man, I want to make God into the image that is most comfortable to me. Right? If there are things in scripture that I'm like, I don't really like that that's there. That makes me uncomfortable. That's not really what I, no, that seems like kind of a mean God or a judgy God or, you know, this, I mean, so often we do this with sin, right? We pick and choose the sins that we feel like are, oh, these are really bad sins and these aren't that bad of sins. And, and we, we make God, we fashion God, our theology, our knowledge of God, our shape of God, we fashion it in the shape of the, the God that's honestly most comfortable for me in my lifestyle and how I'm living. And I don't want to submit to this. I want him to submit to me. And you see how backwards that is, but it's, it happens in subtle ways all the time in our life. And so ask yourself, is your view of God, is your view of God rooted in Scripture or is it rooted in feelings and convenience? And so ask yourself that question, man. Okay, with the God I'm worshiping, the God I'm trying to follow, the God I'm trying to submit, Is it really rooted in who God is in his word? And if you don't know his word super well, that's great. Welcome to the body of Christ. That's what we do. That's that's what we do here from this stage. That's what we do in student groups. That's what we do in family nights. That's what we do in discipleship and one-on-one coffee appointments and anything, man. We're surrounded by a lot of people who love God and love his word and want to continue to shape God appropriately to who his word says we are and, and who he is. And so, man, is your God rooted in scripture or is he rooted in this just feels like more the God I want to worship or this is certainly the more convenient theology that I'm going to adopt wrestle with those hard things wrestle with those hard questions man I have I have been studying theology in God's word and there's still concepts in scripture that I'm wrestling with and building muscle in and and struggling with and so man it is it is a sweet process to even go through that are you comfortable in your theology? Have you reduced God? Second way we drift is this. Second way we drift is a lack of godly community. Um, man, this is a big one. And we talk about community a ton here. Um, we talk about community and groups and family nights and trips and all that kind of stuff and even filling out connect cards so you can actually be connected and be known. We don't, we don't, do not want to create a really big Christian club. That sounds exhausting to me and honestly is just not worth it. That's not what we're called to do and that's not what this is about. But what we are called to do, whether it's Christ Chapel or another great church or another pocket of believers, it doesn't matter. Like I don't care what the banner is over that. What we care about, what he cares about is man, are you in community with other godly people who know you Right? Are you in community? Are you walking with other people that are trying to walk out their faith? If all of your friends are only Christian, okay, well then I would say, man, maybe get out in the mission field a little bit more. Um, so I'm not trying to say let's get a holy huddle and we only hang out with Christian people, but then do you have community? Do you have accountability? 
somebody who's really going to speak into your life. And that godly community is going to be huge because the community that you find yourself in, you think about any season of your life. Think about middle school. In middle school, the community that you're in, if, if everyone, when I was in middle school, the girls uh, did this thing with their bangs where they poofed up their bangs. We called them the poof squad. And all the girls, right, they had these like big bangs, the poof squad. You, had, you don't you judge me, you had a ton of horrible trends in middle school. You did. And you did those trends because that's what everyone around you is doing, man. We are, we are creatures designed to be in community. We drift from this God who loves us because all of a sudden we find out we're in a community of people who don't share the same ideas and values and the same God that we worship. So of course we drift. I want you to be connected to people who don't know and love and care about Jesus. I want you to be connected to those people. Our, my heart beats so fast for those people. We are passionate to make sure these people know there is a God who wants to offer them grace. Um, but man, what does that community look like? Are you known by people who love Jesus and you enough to pull you back? Are you known? Do they know? I've got men in my life. There's a man I meet with every week who knows my junk, knows my sin, knows my struggles, knows my temptations. I need that. I need people who know me, not just a part of a club. I need people who know me and know Jesus. Not just nice Christian people, but they know Jesus so they can pull me back to where they're at which is maybe a step or two closer to Jesus. Are you known by people who love Jesus and love you enough to pull you back when you drift? Find it in college, man. Find it when you find it. Go deep with it. Cultivate that community. Third is this, indulgence of immediate gratification. Um, in, there is an indulgence of immediate gratification. Here's what I mean by that. Sin is fun, right? If sin wasn't fun, we, that, then it wouldn't be a temptation, right? But sin is, is this fun thing. It's not lasting. We're not long-term designed for that. But sin is taking things that God has made in sweet ways and, and perverting them and twisting them and, and turning them into these things that are immediately gratifying in the moment but end up drying us up. And college life is filled with opportunities to find those things that are fun, for a weekend or for a season or for a semester or for a night, but leave us empty. So my question, I love you. My question is, do you deny yourself shallow things because you have and believe in something better? Ask yourself that. Do you deny yourself shallow things, things that might be fun in the moment, immediately might be gratifying, but in the end, you know there is something better. There is something you were called to that is either immediately better or something that you know or believe his promises. And he says, Totter, I have a better way for you to date or live or function. Son, I have a better way for you to walk and live and lead than the way the world is telling you is shallow ways. Ask yourself that question. Go before the Lord. God, do I need to be denying myself some of these shallow things? because I really believe that you have something better for me. Ask the Lord that, that question and ask him to give you a heart for that and ask him to take the, the taste out of your mouth of those shallow things that it would no longer be attractive to you. That's, that is miraculous when he does that, but he does. Fourth, fourth way we drift. And there's six, so we're almost there. Avoidance of discomfort. 
Um, there is an avoidance of discomfort. And so, so often, let's say you are someone who has said, okay, I don't want to chase after the immediate. I don't want the immediate gratification. And, and, I've, and I'm unbent. I'm making decisions where I'm really removing myself from temptation that I know used to tempt me even more and that I've fallen into. And so I've removed myself. But then it becomes really hard because that's lonely. And to be set apart and to maybe, to maybe, um, n- not choose what other people are choosing. It's not because I love sin or I'm so tempted to sin. It's because it's uncomfortable to be that person who's just always saying no and always the designated driver and always, no, I'm not going to go out with you tonight. And, and, and that becomes lonely and it becomes exhausting. And so there are times so often in our life where we say, man, I no longer, I want to just avoid being that person. It's uncomfortable to be that person I'm tired of just always having to be that person who does the right thing and make the responsible decision. So ask yourself the question, are you willing to be uncomfortable because of your commitment to Christ? Are you willing to be uncomfortable because of your commitment to Christ? Are you willing to say, I'm going to follow you and there's going to be some lonely seasons or some lonely nights, but I'm committed to you, Christ, and I believe you're better. Fifth, this is a good one, busyness. <laughs> busyness, man, we, um, we, and this is even good things, right? This, this is, these aren't all bad things that we need to run and flee from, man. We are full, especially you guys who are in college, man, you have taken on a ton. You're high-achieving people, right? And, and you're doing a lot, and you're taking on a lot of things. And so, so often, busyness becomes this thing that gets us to drift, and we, all of a sudden, we have all these things on our plate, and honestly, we have a Bible study, and then we have this Bible study, and we lead here, and man, there's so many people that even in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten to walk with and talk with about different service opportunities, and I've been so proud uh, of some of the people I've talked to who've said, hey, this is a really good opportunity to serve and lead. I don't think I have margin for it, and I'm like, praise God, you just turned down a Bible study because you're in three other Bible studies. Good for you. Praise God, man. And so, so the question I want you to ask yourself is, do you have boundaries built into your schedule to prioritize your relationship with Christ? Do you have boundaries built into your schedule to prioritize your relationship with Christ? Have you built those things in? This is why I have to wake up really, really early. Um, I don't like waking up early, but I have to wake up really, really early because there's not other time, and so this is the time I can protect. Before my boys wake up, before my wife wakes up, I can say, Lord, I'm yours, and I'm rooted in you, and I want to abide in you. Man, we've got to fight and make sacrifices to protect boundaries so that we're prioritizing, Lord, you are who I want. And here's the last one. Ready? We're just not actively pursuing Christ. We're just not actively pursuing Christ. And, and here's, um, here's what I, I mean by that. Um, so often there's these things that pull us. And honestly, I find myself in all six of these categories any given week or any given month. Um, I usually don't just fall into one of them. There's different, different things in different seasons of my life. But I think one of the big things at times is I just don't, I just don't prioritize sitting with him. I'm not pursuing Christ. And so often I'm not pursuing Christ because I just don't feel close to him. And then I drift, and I drift more. And I think, well, I don't feel like pursuing him now because I'm far from him. And then because of that, I'm not pursuing him, and I drift a little further, and I drift a little further. And I feel like, oh, man, I'm, I'm distant from him. And so, of course, I don't want to wake up early and spend time with him. 
rather than saying, Lord, would I just pursue you even when I don't feel like it? Let me ask you, are you resting in him even when you don't feel like it? Even when you feel like he's not there, are you resting in him? He is there. Right? We believe he is there. He tells us he's there. He's true to his promises. And what we're called to do is just come and rest. You don't have to perform. You don't have to get to some emotional high or work yourself up. And if you go and sit before him, and maybe, I mean, there have been times in my life where my time with the Lord has just looked like me just going and meeting and getting a cup of coffee and opening up my word. And being like, God, I feel distant. I feel callous. I feel apathetic. God, would you just move in my heart and just sit there and stare and read and then I do it again and I do it again and do it again. And that's, man, when I date my wife, my wife, you guys got to meet Danielle. She's unbelievable. She's an incredible woman. I love her a ton. She's my favorite earthly blessing. Um, and, And in our relationship, Right? I'm not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. But I have to continue to pursue my wife. I have to continue. We got a date night on the calendar. And if it goes three or four or five weeks where we've kept consistently missing that date night because of kids' birthday parties or whatever, then, man, we can feel that. And then I say, man, whether I feel it or not, whether I feel like, man, really passionate, like, man, I want to, I need to just, I need to take her out. And I need to pursue her. And I'm going to take her out on another date. And I'm going to sit across from her. And I'm going to stare at her. And I'm going to tell her how much I love her. And I'm going to speak truth into her life. And by the end of that date, I will feel closer to her. We're designed for our Heavenly Father to just pursue him. And when we can't feel like we can pursue him, I want to encourage you, just rest in him. Um, Brett's going to come back up. And he's going to uh, play a song uh, that I asked him to play here that he wrote maybe a couple years ago. Um, and in this song, uh, he, he talks about this idea of resting, resting in a father that no matter what our circumstances, no matter how dark it feels, no matter what our circumstances around us look like, that we can go to our God and we can just rest. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you find yourself in this place where you just need to sit here. And if you know the song, great, sing it. But don't just sing it. Pray it to the Lord. And, and claim, God, I am yours. Remind yourself of that truth. Remind yourself of who he is, his purity and how loving he is and how faithful he is. And if you just need to sit here and have the song sung over you, my hope and my challenge is that we will be people who rest in him, grounded, anchored in him, so that we don't drift because he is better. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Uh, and, and even as we come before you now and worship, Lord, and, and as, as Brett sings over us, Lord, would you just do the work that only you can do? Would you do the work in our hearts that only you can do? We see in Hebrews, God, this challenge in verse 1, don't drift. And yet, God, we're prone to, and we are prone to, to wander and drift from you. And so, um, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that... Uh, this morning would be challenging and encouraging that we'd be able to identify some of the ways that we drift. We'd be able to ask ourselves some honest questions before you um, that we would be able to stare at this authentic gospel that you provided and not have to strive and not have to work our way back to your presence, but instead that we would just rest. We'd stop trying to be religious enough, stop trying to be worldly enough, Just rest in a God who meets us in hard circumstances 
and says that we are his. Would we believe it? In the name of Jesus, amen.